The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. The Dow rallies to a record high, but tech tumbles as markets continue to rotate to cyclicals with the Nasdaq falling into correction territory. Futures trade higher, though, as ARK Invest founder Kathy Wood tells CNBC that despite suffering tech-related losses, she still believes in the bull market. Right now, the market is broadening out, and we think in an underlying sense, the bull market is strengthening, and that will play to our benefit over the longer term. So-called meme stocks rally on anticipation that some retail investors could use their stimulus checks to keep fueling the short squeeze. Whilst the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says her chamber will vote on the bill by Wednesday. Greens Hill Capital files for administration, saying it's fallen into severe financial distress and cannot pay back its debts. And earnings season rolls on with Deutsche Post, DHL and Standard Life Aberdeen, the latest output results. So we're going to be speaking to the CEOs of both companies. And later on the show, we'll hear from the new Continental CEO, Nikolai Setzer, as he unveils his first results since taking over the German auto supplier. Oh, there's so much going on. Our job is never dull at the best of time, but this is very interesting. Okay, let's get straight into that. And I think that Kathy would bite that Jeff paid you in the headlines. I think that's very interesting. Look at this. Look at my right-hand side here as well. Uh, 306 points up, 1% higher for the Dow, but the Nasdaq was down 2.4%. It was a day when the market was rallying and excited about the stimulus bill, excited about what it potentially could mean uh, for the economy, excited by the fact that at the tail end of last week, the biggest data was very positive in terms of the non-farm payroll. But look at this, down 2.4%. And Kathy Wood is exactly right in the part where she says the market uh, rally is broadening as well. But what does it mean for the tightly held herded fang stocks as well? Well, look at the S&P. Oh, hang on a second. If the Dow's rallying, which represents industrials, Surely the S&P should be rallying, which represents the broader market as well. Surely the 500 stocks, or at least a large number of them, should be rallying, yeah? Guess what? They did. Huh? You're saying? We were down a half percent. Now you know where I'm going. I think 340 plus stocks were up in the S&P. So yes, it was a broad rally, but we fell. Why is that? Well, because a lot of these technology names, the heavily weighted stocks that represent such a large weighting of the S&P were in negative territory, including one which, dare I say, Kathy Wood owns a hell of a lot of, and that is Tesla, which is trading now significantly below the price that on the 21st of December, very important date for many of you, because it's a date when if you were tracking the S&P, you became a hell of a lot more exposed 
to Tesla because it entered the index. And of course, we've seen this huge market cap it had at one stage. Still got a big market cap. Still a loved stock. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the demise of Tesla. I'm saying it's come off aggressively uh, from the highs that it hit on the 21st, the highs that it hit at the start of this year uh, compared to where it is now. Let's have a look at the reopening stocks. I don't even know what that means, actually. Oh, OK, the airlines. OK, here we go. <laughs> Target. I had genuinely no idea. I know um, young Kathy told me. But uh, anyway, 3.6% higher for Delta Airlines. United Airlines up 7%. American Airlines up 5%. Target, which I didn't even know it was an airline, up 2.5%. I just think it was a retailer. Anyway, let's have a look at uh, technology. So this is the point I'm trying to make as well. And I think it actually is a brilliantly constructed set of walls from uh, Katie, actually, I believe it is. Um, Apple's down 4.1%. Microsoft down... It's an inside joke, but I like to show you a little bit of what's going on. Uh, Facebook down 3.4%. But here you go, look, Tesla. I think it entered the S&P at about 649 bucks. In fact, I know that because I just looked. Uh, then it got up to about 900 bucks, and now it's come off aggressively. So look, again, no one's quibbling that they've a brilliant, innovative company. We're just quibbling valuations as well. Let's have a look at the ARK Innovation ETF as well. This is where Kathy Wood will come in as well. Let's have a look at that because it is down 10% over the last three months, down 5.8% in the last session as well. Hugely weighted uh, to Tesla as well. And I think Jeff's going to move. But I think that's fascinating. You've got the Dow, Mr. Cutmore. Good morning. You all right? You're Hello. doing something. You're doing yeah, yeah. as well, aren't you? No. Yeah. Uh, you're definitely getting something else ready. I know what you're like. Anyway, so look, you had, <laughs> you had Tesla falling aggressively, Apple falling aggressively, the Fangs yes. falling aggressively, yes. the Nasdaq in correction territory, yes. and the Dow at a record high. Fascinating, Fascinating. markets. Well, and um, it, what it points to is, I think, something that we've talked a lot about on this program. And as I think back to the end of last year, the best exponent for me on this whole issue was probably Michael Howell, uh, a cross-border capital, yes, who came in and said, we are going to have very strong growth. The amount of money that's flowing into the global economy at the moment from central banks and governments is going to drive a strong recovery when the vaccination program runs its course. Fair enough. I think we all know that growth is coming and the base effects mean it will look like very strong growth like for like year on year. The question is, and the bit that I thought was interesting when he came in last year, was he said this will not translate necessarily to higher equity market prices, particularly in those businesses that did well during the pandemic. And that's technology stocks. And I think the message that he was delivering was there are going to be some sectors that just are left behind once we start to see a rotation to take advantage of that growth. And I think it may just be as simple as that. The question for Kathy Wood, of course, is the one that so many fund managers have had to ask themselves over the years who've had terrifically successful careers. Am I an investor for all seasons? Because as we look back over the history, of course, there are um, people like, I mean, let, let's just throw out a few names here. Neil Woodford, Julian Robertson, yeah. some very big names in the money management industry who've been unable to shift their style and tactics, even as the market conditions have changed. And so I think that's the interesting question here. She's saying this is a market that's broadening out. The bull is still alive. But is that a market for tech investors 
or is it a market for cyclical stocks? I have one question before you get to her sound, because it's good sound as well. Mm. If you love Tesla at 880 bucks on the 25th of January, and every analyst, and this is the point that Karen and I were debating heartily yesterday, every analyst did love it, or the ones that were balls of it, still loved it as much at 880. Presumably, they love it even more at 563, having had a precipitous decline off that 880. Presumably, those same analysts are doubling down, going from buy to strong buy, from hold to accumulate, from accumulate to buy aggressively because the shares have come off so much. That is what I want to see. Well, What's I, going on I, can, there? I can see how you're neatly laying out the, uh, the, the net there and you're covering it with leaves and camouflage, hoping that the big elephant treads in it <laughs> and gets whooshed up into the sky. It took me a long while to dig that hole, you know. But the, pro- the bit that I think always the analysts have problems with is actually putting together very rational value-based analysis with momentum. And momentum is something that it's very difficult to analyze and understand, but it reflects wave of money. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because some people will say to you, I can buy it high and I can sell it even higher until, of course, the reckoning comes. It's, it, you remind me of the old analogy of man who bought house in 1988 <laughs> hailed as a financial guru. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, ARK Investment founder Kathy Wood has played down concerns over a recent dip in her funds. She told CNBC her strategy will eventually pay off thanks to underlying market strength. Wood also defended her big bet on Tesla, the largest holding in the ARK Innovation ETF. Our confidence in uh, Tesla has gone up for a number of reasons. One, it didn't lose share of the electric vehicle market when all of the traditional luxury brand names started bringing their own electric vehicles to market. Second is autonomous. Uh, We believe that uh, Elon Musk, uh, who over the weekend tweeted out that he would offer or Tesla would offer uh, full service driving uh, to anyone who wanted it uh, saw an incredible burst in demand. So for him to be able to do that suggests to us that he's going to be able to show us the way to autonomous much faster than most analysts and investors expect. Wood also predicted that Bitcoin would grow into a key asset in investor portfolios. We think that as it becomes a better accepted uh, new asset class, and and we are seeing institutional movement into the space, and we're seeing the diversification of balance sheets from cash into Bitcoin, we do think it uh, it will behave, actually, I would say, more like the fixed income markets, believe it or not. Uh, If you think about bonds from this level, you know, this idea of a 60-40 balanced portfolio is a bit problematic. We've been through a 40-year bull market in bonds. We would not be surprised to see this new asset class become a part of those percentages, maybe 60 equity, 20, 20. Uh, so I actually think that might be the biggest surprise here. Well, for more on Wood's comments, including why she thinks a recent fall in tech stocks is still a buying opportunity, go to our website. Uh, It's cnbc.com for the write-up. Karen, let's bring you in on this because I I think Steve and I have um, uh, have had our fair share. Just give us some thoughts here because um, of the three of us, you probably yesterday were the, the one who was most clearly... Um, supporting perhaps the opportunity still there in the technology space. Um, how do you think Kathy Woods is negotiating this? 
There is a big assumption in some Fed commentary that the Fed has the back of this type of investor. I think that was very clear in the interview. So if you have a very different perspective and you think that at some point central banks are going to be caught on the wrong side of the equation, that the bond markets are correct and they see inflation coming and they will be proved correct down the line and the Fed and other central banks will be incorrect, then you would not be buying into an investment uh, like this high-flying arc uh, innovation fund. However, that said, if you do believe that you've got a very low interest rate environment, that we're early in this journey around digital transformation, then you've been presented with a buying opportunity. And let's face it, there have not been that many entry points into the NASDAQ. The entry points you've been given have been at times when you're in the depths of a pandemic and you cannot see your way forward and you're having to make a very strong bet on uh, a risk asset. So I think at this point, some investors are saying, hey, this is the entry point we've been looking for. What I was mentioning yesterday with one of the investors, and it was Dan Ives from Wedbush, who was one of the analysts who's covered the sector for a long time, is particularly bullish still on the opportunity ahead. And his argument was that we're still early days on this digital transformation story. They'd spoken to a number of CEOs across the sector where there is going to be a permit restructure, where there will be remote working for about 30 to 40 percent of employees, which means more digital acceleration in the cloud and more of these remote working trends. Do you think where investors have gotten a little bit cautious around some of these uh, video conferencing sites? They think that journey is over once the vaccine is rolled out and people go back to the office. I mean, we're all hearing that the hybrid model remains at some point. It's going to be part of our future of work. So do you sell off that stock completely or do you find the right price? And I think that's the problem at this stage. You've got uh, very mixed components in the technology sector. Some of them are off you know, near on 20%. Others are off closer to 10%. So finding the entry point is a little bit harder at this point for a lot of investors who are looking at it in one overall technology space. I think, as I was saying the other day, this is the hard work. You have to look at those single name exposures now and pick out which of those stocks will still be part of the journey in future and which ones are not overinflated by the excess we've seen in the stock market action. I mean, the ARC fund itself, what more than 100% gains last year. What is the entry point for that? It's up to someone to try and work out what that is and whether we've got that entry point just yet or whether we need to flush out more of the excess in coming weeks before you get that, that right point to enter the market again. I think you, great words of wisdom, Karen. I, I, I couldn't disagree with any of that. I think what is very exciting is there's so much SPAC money coming in, presumably for those wonderful SPAC opportunities, that they'll be even better now that we've come off, as you say, between 10 and 20%. They must be salivating of the exciting opportunities now. There you go, laying out that net again to oh. catch the uh, elephant. Um, no, I mean, it, uh, of course, the SPACs have had a terrific run here, but of We've sat here. We've sat here all the way through, and we've said fundraising. They're investments. They've been terrific. Be concerned. Uh, Well, they have been for the people sponsoring them. Oh, the sponsor. That's Uh, not what I asked you. U.S. House of Representatives is preparing. There you go with the net again. (laughs) The U.S. House of Representatives is preparing to pass President Biden's 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package. By Wednesday, that means the amended bill could be signed into law before current benefits expire over the weekend. It includes an extension of weekly unemployment support until September, as well as a $1,400 direct payment to Americans. GameStop and some of the other so-called meme stocks moved higher following that announcement. On expectations, investors may plough some of the funds from those stimulus checks into the equity market. Still to come on the programme, we will be speaking with the CEO of Deutsche Post, DHL, very shortly. Frank Appel will join us as the German logistics giant raises its guidance on the back of another set of strong numbers. 
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. private equity group Apollo will buy its affiliate Athene in an $11 billion deal paid fully in stock. Athene shares ended up nearly 6% in Monday's session, but Apollo traded lower. Apollo created the life insurance business in 2009 and listed it in 2016. It held onto a minority stake and charged Athene fees for asset management services, sparking complaints from the insurer's shareholders. Now the two are set to form a financial conglomerate with a combined market cap of around $30 billion. Hey, here's an interesting fact. Who do you think was one of the key investors in um, Greens Hill in uh, 2019? Uh, in 2019, well, I'm just I, don't know. I know David Cameron was meant to be advising them. SoftBank's Vision Fund oh, yes, had $1.5 billion in it. Yeah. Apparently, according to our CNBC copy here, SoftBank's stake is reportedly at risk of being completely wiped out. Greens Hill Capital has filed for insolvency, warning that one of its main customers, Sanjeev Gupta's metals group, GFG Alliance, has started defaulting on its debt. According to the Financial Times, Greens Hill's uh, exposure to GFG is about $5 billion. Lex Greens Hill's supply chain finance empire started unravelling last week after losing a key source of income when Credit Suisse froze $10 billion worth of funds which bought the group's repackaged debt products. Following that, Greens Hill's Green Seals Capital's main insurer refused to renew a $4.6 billion contract, pulling coverage from the business. Okay, moving on. Deutsche Post DHL Group has posted a full year EBIT of 4.8 billion euros and just under 67 billion euros in revenue. The German logistics giant has raised its midterm guidance and announced it will buy back 1.2 billion euros worth of shares. Uh, Frank Appel is with us, the CEO of Deutsche Post DHL Group. Um, Frank, the the trends have continued to be positive, it seems, here for the business. As we now look forward to reopening of economies, um, give us a sense of how you think the business is going to fare across the rest of the year. Yeah, so after we had really a fantastic year with record numbers in all dimensions, uh, we are looking forward, I think, with a good um, uh, tailwind. Uh, you know, B2B is coming back. We saw already the recovery in fourth quarter. It will continue this year as well. And B2C will continue to grow, of course, with a slower growth rate, but on an ex- accelerated base. Uh, and that's the reason why we are looking optimistically into this year and beyond that. That's the reason why we have increased our guidance for this year and also gave a new guidance uh, for 2023. And um, can I ask you about uh, pricing? Um, Frank, at this point, a bit of a hobby horse. But as we see price pressures rising in all sorts of industries and sectors at the moment, are you going to be able to uh, rise, uh, lift prices outside of your regulated lines? 
Yeah, so we have been a premium player, you know, for many years now. And I think a premium a market, premium player who is a market leader should be also somebody who asks for right pricing for the service you provide. That's the reason why we, of course, will follow the same strategy as in the past years. Of course, we will not raise prices ridiculously, but we will do that continuously. We have cost increases, and I think customers should expect if they buy best-in-class service across our different divisions, they should expect as well that they pay a good price for it. Um, Frank, really nice to see you. Look, unambiguously, you've done well, and I, I doff my cap to you. I think it's been brilliantly uh, performance in a really tough period. But why are you buying back your shares? They're trading, from what I can see, at a five-year high already. You don't need to buy back your shares. You're a man who's had, and I'm going to say this, very polite, you've had great vision in what you've done at the company, and it's gone really, really well. Is there nothing else you can spend that money on? You know, we will continue to spend a lot of capex. Uh, you know, our business has to follow the demand of our customers. Uh, we have invested heavily. We just announced that we buy additional eight triple seven for our global network. We will continue to expand our footprint in sorting equipment, uh, you know, in warehouses and all this kind of stuff. The good news is our free cash flow is strong enough to serve both. You know, we can not only invest, you know, significantly into our operations, we can at the same time give back to our shareholders. Uh, and I think that shows a commitment and a, you know, clear uh, confidence that our business will continue to grow. Um, can I change subject slightly? Uh, you've been critical um, about a month ago uh, about the performance in the va vaccine rollout, despite the best efforts of many people in the supply chain. Uh, I'm talking about Europe here as well. Have things improved since you made those criticisms or are we still seeing a woeful pan-European performance? Yeah, no, I, I think I didn't criticize. What I've said is logistics is ready to go at any time and we will be not the bottleneck. And we have proved that we are not the bottleneck. The bottleneck is first the amount of production, which is currently accelerating, which is great news. And I still feel, you know, we as Global citizens should be happy about the progress we have made. Nobody expected that we will get a vaccine in 10 months' time. Nobody expects so many people already vaccinated. That will only accelerate now. I think the world is definitely on a, on a, a good way to, to get COVID-19 under control. Frank, it's Karen jumping in. I want to ask you about the chip shortage and the bottlenecks we're seeing in the supply chain there. Have you seen any improvement in recent weeks? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, the whole discussion around these things is, is if we see a definite improvement. You know, the things are always not as big as people might think in the first place. I think everything is normalizing there, too. So I'm, you know, don't see any major challenges going forward. I just want to switch over to uh, employee and staff costs. They went up, but so too did the number of employees that you hired uh, and had on the books in 2020. We know it was a bumper year given these COVID trends with parcels and letters being delivered. What happens from here? Do you continue to see those costs growing for the business? Yeah, so first of all, um, you know, we, we have managed our company along three bottom lines, employees, customers and, and, and shareholders, not to forget the society even. And, uh, you know, I feel very proud that since we started our strategy 2020, we hired 90,000 additional people, 20,000 last year. And we definitely will grow operations and we need more people to serve our customers. So I'm very optimistic that this trend will continue. I don't see that as a cost. It is enabling of our capabilities. Our people are fundamentally important. They have done a fantastic job in the last 12 months and they definitely will continue to serve our customers in the best possible way.
And Frank, can I ask you about some of the challenges of managing the uh, dramatic reduction we've seen in uh, availability of belly cargo just because passenger airlines are not flying at the moment? How are you negotiating that one? I see you've been busy tying up some other deals just to keep capacity up. But is that going to remain an issue uh, for some months yet? Yeah, so, you know, why is uh, intercontinental flying not possible? Because humans, you know, first of all, governments are not allowing that. And secondly, humans are protecting their own health and safety. And that will not change overnight. Even if they get vaccinated, not everybody will jump instantly on a on an airline uh, flight to, to on an intercontinental travel. So therefore, this year, definitely capacity in Bali will be still restricted. And that, of course, uh, benefits those who have control of cargo airplanes like we do. Um, I'm just going to have one more go, Frank, at the question I asked you before, because uh, you, you definitely sidestepped it by talking about the success of logistics. And I, I, again, I agree with you. I think logistics has been phenomenal. But, and you also talked about the success of actually creating vaccines. Again, phenomenal. But in terms of the European rollout from our political masters, again, the, the point being raised was it's been woeful so far. Do you think things have improved in how they've reacted to the criticism? Have they looked at themselves and said, yes, we've got some of this wrong and now we're doing it better? You know, I think it's always easy to criticize. The complexity is quite massive to really, uh, you know, give a vaccine to the people who are in most need, that these are the elder, the endangered people somehow. I think, you know, the European Union is do doing a good job. It's great that they bought the vaccines together. I think we have gained momentum and we will continue to, to see that in the next weeks. Frank, you've been navigating a, a lot of COVID trends and I'm just wondering whether you're setting up for a busy couple of weeks now because what we're hearing around this 1.9 trillion relief package that the House may pass later on today, checks could be sent out very quickly to Americans, $1,400 in the post. Some of that may be spent almost immediately. So you're setting up for sort of a busy time on the parcel delivery front if Americans spend that money and uh, it uh, goes your way. Yeah, definitely. You know, consumer demand, if consumer demand is increased, it will be good for all businesses, I think. And if we open markets again and lockdowns are over, I think this stimulus will definitely help to recover the economy uh, fast. The U.S. is still the most powerful and most important economy on the world. So that definitely will help the world. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.